Morning, everyone. Am I on? Here we go. Now, I'm looking for Pete Morrison. He's not here. Ah, oh, he's at Labatouche. Of course. Of course, of course. This is, his, uh, this is the Morrison's last Sunday. And he's not even here. Um, so, anyway, we won't see them here. Except for if you're here Christmas Day, you might see them, but they won't be here any other Sundays. What's that? Um, and so if you, uh, if you want to, if you're inclined to, if you know them, Pete's the guy who's normally on the violin up here. Um, they have been friends of CCW and they've been friends of our family um, here. They remain so, but they're heading to Newcastle. We're going to really, really miss them. So if you get a chance over the next uh, few weeks to send them a text or an email or give them a call, let them know how much they're appreciated, that'd be fantastic. All right, uh, my name's Danny, I'm one of the pastors here. We are, it's only a, well, a week and a bit to Christmas, so our messages this week and next week are focused around Christmas, and today I'm doing a message titled, The Doctrine of Christmas. Uh, now, before you all just go to sleep straight away, I'll explain what I mean by that. We're in 1 John, chapter 1, just the first four voices, four voices, first four verses of 1 John, chapter 1. So John is a disciple of Jesus. He's, he's walked with Jesus. He's done that uh, three-year ministry period intensely with Jesus. He knows Jesus very well. He describes himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, he's probably quite young in that ministry time when he was with uh, Jesus. And now when he writes this, he's an old man. Um, but he's testifying to his time with Jesus. He says... We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. Now, these verses contain the doctrine of Christmas for us. Now, when I say doctrine, what I don't mean is dogma. Sometimes we get these terms confused. So, uh, if kids are here, this, when we say uh, this word dogma, it means uh, this is true and it's always true and I'm just going to hang on to this and doesn't, no matter what happens or what facts come to challenge this, I'm, I'm building a fence around this truth. I'm dogmatically hanging on to this tradition or this dogma. Right? You can't shake me from this rigid place that there's a wall around. Oh, um, that's, um, you know when someone's dogmatic? Like, and you, they can't, even when they get new information into the system, they're just stuck um, in that space. So I'm not talking about, when we say doctrine, sometimes that's what people think. Doctrine, rather, is a rock that you stand on that you go, this doesn't move. And from this firm foundation... I can operate and I can absorb any information that comes to me because this rock doesn't move. You know the difference between a well and a fence if you're trying to hold livestock. A fence tries to hem the cattle in, if you like. That's dogma. Um, A well just draws them to this life source. That's doctrine. See the difference? 
Now, this is the doctrine of Christmas. It's the belief that we base our lives on. It's something we insist on, something we contend for. It's a faith position. And unless you think the doctrine is just um, the province of Christians, everybody lives on doctrine in terms of this belief that we base our lives on. Uh, so let me give you an example. So I say to my friend who's not a Christian, this hypothetical situation, um, I say to him, I would love you to consider that Jesus is life itself and that he loves you so much and that, and that he's provided a way for you to be reconciled with your creator and live forever. I would love you to consider that. And my friend says to me, um, you can't know for any certainty that God even exists. And you've got no, you've got, you've got, um, like, you're just, that's just your faith position. And how dare you insist on sharing that with me? You just should be happy in your space, leave me happy in my space. In fact, you should just back up on the, I've got the absolute truth and take this, a more kind of balanced, relativistic view of spirituality. Who is dogmatic in that sense, right? Who is insisting that their way is the right way? My friend. They're saying, really, Danny, you should have the same view of spirituality that I have. You should just ease up and know that anyone can believe what they like. I'm just saying, here's a, here's a doctrinal position that I come from that I'd like you to consider. That everybody lives on doctrine. Everybody. And this is the doctrine of Christmas that we live on. Jesus is God, and he's come to earth in human form. The transcendence become imminent, the invisible is visible, the incorporeal has become corporal. In other words, God has become human. The doctrine of incarnation, that is, God become human. Um, this doctrine of incarnation is unique in the world. If you're, if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a New Ager, then you can say God's incarnate, that's God's with us in all sorts of people and things. It's normal for God to be imminent because we see God in everything or lots of things around us. Um, lots of different gods or just the universe and life itself. Just, and even we, we're part of God, all of that uh, understanding. So it's normal for God to be imminent. So when we say to someone in, with that doctrine, if you like, Jesus is God, they can go, sure, because God is everywhere and in everything. Or if you're a Jew or a Muslim, God is so transcendent so away from us that incarnation is impossible. And you say, Jesus is God, that sounds blasphemous to them. But Christianity is unique. It doesn't say incarnation is normal, but it doesn't say it's impossible either. It says God is so imminent that it's possible, but he's so transcendent that the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus is an event, something that happened. And for our modern world that increasingly files the incarnation under no longer relevant, um, which it does. So most of my people I know who don't know Jesus yet would just think the church is outdated and this message, this doctrine of Christmas is not relevant for our world now. John says this, he is the word of life. This one who is life itself is revealed to us. We've seen him and now we proclaim, now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal Life, our pre-existent creator. He is life. He's eternal life. 
How, how can one man in history be life? Life itself. How can John say that? Because Jesus isn't just teacher and example. Jesus is saviour. He lived the sinless life that we were called to and he died the death we should have died so that forever after, everyone who calls on Jesus is saved and brought into his eternal life. That's why John can say the one who is life itself. He's speaking to an audience who'd never met Jesus, didn't know him, many of whom would have been born even after Jesus had died and risen again. He's still affirming to them, this man, he is life. So Christmas is based on the event. The doctrine of Christmas is based on the event, the time God came to us in human form. And it's based squarely in history. Look what John says. We saw it, we heard it, our own eyes and ears and hands, we felt it, this eternal life. It happened, it's true. God became historical. The manger, the cross, the resurrection, it all happened. These are real events in our world. Um, uh, Matthew's just studied my son, has just finished off Year 12 Latin. And in the process of that, we've been helping him with some of that. And so we've been studying um, Virgil's uh, Aeneid. I don't know if you know ancient historical texts. Uh, you might have heard of Homer's Iliad, which is the fall of Troy and all of that sort of thing. Well, um, this amazing scholar, Virgil, he wrote this for the Roman Empire. He wrote this history. So he cast back in time this history that legitimized the rise of the Roman Empire um, to, his, to his Greek readership that way and so it's full of uh, like it's an amazing story heroes and and gods and and men and these uh, battles and it's just beautiful beautiful literature if you're into that uh, sort of thing so we've been looking at that because of the latin and it struck me that that's the way most of my peers view the bible that it's a that it's a mythological or legendary kind of uh, historical text that's been framed and built on and grown to legitimize the, the church, the faith system that we have here. And that there's not like, there's not like, because in those texts, in those mythological or legendary texts, you don't get dates and times and details and you just get the big, like the characters and the stories and the relationships and the big themes because that's what they're trying to paint. In the Bible, uh, you've got all kinds of stupid little details, not stupid little details, but like little details like, you know, well, they, were, they were three and a half miles from this location or, and then this particular ruler in this particular year said this particular thing. You know, there's those kind of details uh, in the Bible. And John here is like against this accusation that this is all mythical. He's going, there was a man, Jesus Christ, and we saw him and we touched him and we, and we heard him. And he lived here and he was right here in our world and this actually happened. There's no doubt for readers, serious readers of this letter that John wrote, that he's describing an eyewitness account. Uh, so he's either telling the truth about what happened or he's just making up something, but it's an eyewitness account. And if he is making up something, then the New Testament writers would have to be the stupidest liars in the world. Look at this in um, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul here is writing about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And you notice in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, uh, He was buried, raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, 
most of whom are still alive. Now, if you're going to write, if you're going to fabricate an eyewitness account, you don't want to distribute it to the people who are supposed to be there while they're still alive. You'd never get your religion off the ground. It'd be like me saying to you, were you here last week? It was fantastic. Like lightning broke through the ceiling and split everything apart and then God just amazingly put the ceiling back together. Um, Again, you go, no, it didn't. I was there. That didn't happen. But Christianity did get off the ground, in fact, based on those eyewitness accounts, backed up by hundreds of witnesses, the truth of God in human form spread like wildfire. So at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus because he is God, come into our world in human form. He is eternal life, and his life and death and resurrection will save everyone who calls on him and trusts him. So John opens his letter proclaiming this truth, this doctrine. Jesus Christ is real, he's God, And man, his life itself, what does he open this way? Well, let's read on, verse 3. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Let me point out to you four things that we see that flow from believing the doctrine of Christmas. First one, Christmas makes our connection with God personal. John 1 verse 3. 1 John 1 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. This word fellowship, for Greek scholars here, that's the koinonia. It's the the intimate oneness, that connectedness. It means that if Jesus Christ has come, if Christmas is true, then we've got a basis for a personal relationship with God. God's no longer a remote idea or just a force that we cower before, but we can know him personally. He's become graspable. Graspable. Jesus is now someone you can relate to. You know, you can, you're seeing him weep, you see him upset, you see him cast down, you see him exalted, and our understanding of connection with God will be vastly more personal and specific than any philosophy or religion. Um, could give us. Look at what God has done to get you to know him personally. If Jesus came all this way to become a real person to you, don't you think the Holy Spirit will do anything in his power to help Jesus become a real person in your heart? Christmas is an invitation to personal connection with God. Um, Christmas is an invitation by God to say, look what I've done to come near to you. Now draw near to me. I don't want to be a concept. I want to be a friend. Now, how many times in this last year that we've been in um, sessions with people, our ministry team, and they, people come with problems, and that's fantastic. Some people within the church, some people outside the church. And with tears and passion, they'll talk about, oh, this problem in my relationship or the struggle that I have or this fear that I have or this issue at work and, and there's, we're handing tissues out, you know, just, just to, to help. And sometimes we're kind of crying with them because some of these things are intense. And then we say, all right, let's come to God and pray. And they go, Phew. dear Heavenly Father, you know, and we're like, stop. Like, just what you just said to me, say that to God. Just like that. Because 
God's not a concept. He's a person. He didn't die on the cross. So you could have like a little model way that you could maybe get through. He came so that you could know him. So that you could know him personally. When you look up, when you pray, is it just, okay, God, if you're out there kind of thing? Is it like, well, here are the things that I'm supposed to work through in this, this prayer that I have. I do this in this pattern. Or, or are you like Father and he's there like a person and you're talking to him? Like you know him? Sometimes to help me with this, I've said this before, I just put a chair, an empty chair there and I sit and I talk to God. It's helpful because you're talking to someone and he loves you and he wants you to know him. Christmas makes our connection with God personal. Secondly, Christmas calls us to celebrate life. When uh, John said he felt the eternal, he saw the eternal, uh, some of his contemporaries in his day would have been just freaked out because Greeks and Romans and even some traditional religious people today believe that matter or, or physical stuff is bad and spirituality is good. Uh, so we define um, spirit versus matter. Uh, that is, the, this, this physical reality is, is not good, but the spiritual reality is wonderful. Um, so this is bad, divine is good. And to say divine is physical, was ugh, that was a clash in their world. The divine would not come down. Traditional religion says salvation is escaping out of this world into the kingdom of God. But the gospel of Christmas is that salvation is the kingdom of God coming into this world. So rather than this world being bad, Jesus coming here in human form affirms to us that he is establishing his kingdom here in the physical. He's redeeming the physical. The body is important. Matter is important. The world is important. He took on physical flesh. Therefore, Christians know in the name of Jesus that we invite someone to Christmas Day here, share our faith, because that's important. And we donate all the money from Christmas Day that we raise in the offering here to help feed the poor in this area. Because both matter. The kingdom of God is here to rehabilitate this world. And our hope is a new physical reality. Christmas shows us that the life we've been given in this physical reality can be redeemed and made full because of Jesus and his kingdom coming to hearts and minds and bodies. So this Christmas we can celebrate and laugh and connect and hug and dance and share and give and celebrate life. Because the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. Among us. Now, some of us won't feel like celebrating this Christmas. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it's my first Christmas without my dad. So there's tinges of grief and sadness for me. And maybe for you, there's more than tinges for different things that have happened or that are going on in your life now. But there's two things here I want to put to you for those of us who are going to struggle this Christmas. One is, physical resurrection is sure. It is sure. 
We will rise with new bodies in an eternal physical reality forever and ever and ever. And one of the songs I'm listening to at the moment has a line in it. It's called Grace Got You. It's a great song. But it has this line, because there ain't no storm that can change how this ends. Resurrection is sure. And the second thing I want to affirm to us is every moment in this physical reality is redeemable by God's grace. Every moment in this physical reality is redeemable by God's grace. What does that mean? It means that whatever circumstance you're in this Christmas, whatever relationship you're struggling in this Christmas, if you will, if you will surrender that to God and let His Holy Spirit guide you in that space, you will see the kingdom of God come to you. Certainly in your heart and maybe in the relationship or the difficulty that you're dealing with. Christmas calls us to celebrate life. Thirdly, Christmas prompts us to be fiercely relational. Jesus entered our world. He emptied himself of all of his power and he entered our world. He came to us. And when we enter his life, this desire rises in us to connect with others, to enter their worlds, to relate with them and to understand them. Now, have you ever tried to build a friendship with someone from a different culture who didn't speak your language? You can do it a little bit, but to to get close to them, someone's going to have to become vulnerable (coughs) and try and learn the other language. So you have to kind of sit in the place of a student. You have to be a learner. And no matter how accomplished you are in your own culture and space, in this moment here, you are totally vulnerable to just trying to understand the culture and the language of the person that you're trying to relate to. And you're going to have hesitant, broken attempts to relate well, and there's going to be lots of laughter, and you, know, you understand how that goes. But the point is, someone has to, has to go into somebody else's world. Jesus did that for us. He came all the way into our experience, into our world, so that we could know him. Because that is who he is. That is the kind of love that he has. And so when we come into his life, it prompts us, it moves us to go into other people's worlds also. It prompts us to care more about understanding somebody else than being understood ourselves. It prompts us to try and discern what the needs of others are and try and meet those rather than demanding that our own needs are met. It prompts us to not just give love the way that we like to have love given to us, but to learn how somebody else receives love and to try and give them what will help them. It prompts us to be able to lay aside our own way, our own rules, our own desires and enter somebody else's world. Um, We know this in theory, but you think about your Christmas dinner. Whose way is most important there? Like, I don't know if you've got a patriarch or a matriarch in your kind of broader family um, session and you just go, it's always that way. I don't know if you have that uh, anywhere. And other people come in and have got to understand that's just the way we do it because of the desire or the, the... Like, how about this Christmas we go, what do the people around me need and want? Why don't we do this Jesus way and get into other people's worlds? Christmas prompts us to be fiercely relational. Uh, 
If you see what Jesus has done, it's going to make you unbelievably good at personal relationships. <laughs> Fourthly, Christmas moves us to pursue joy in the mess. This is my favorite of the four points today. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Um, some translations will have, we write these things to make our joy complete. So whose joy are we talking about here? We write these things so that you may fully share our joy or we write these things so that you can make our joy um, complete. Um, it's a strange thing we write these things to make our joy complete. Um, uh, in, uh, Jesus, when he talks about joy, when he, um, in John 15, I think it is, he says, he says that, um, <clears throat> that my joy may be in you and then your joy will be complete. That makes sense to me because joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is when we are in, totally in tune with God and His joy flows into our life from him to us, out into the world, the unshakable, unstoppable joy of God that just is part of the life of God that is inside the believer. So Jesus saying, then my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Because our joy doesn't come from circumstances or people around us, it comes from our relationship with God, from his life flowing into us. So then why here is John saying that um, I need you guys to actually get this so that my joy can be complete well this is John he's the pastor the elder he's like the leader the itinerant um, apostle if you like the leader of this community who is writing these letters he loved these guys deeply he had tied his hearts to theirs I love that phrase saw that in a commentary he had tied his hearts to theirs in his pursuit of their joy and his that is, I have the life of God. I've received it. I've received it. But this, this doctrine of Christ, this truth that I base my life on, that Jesus came to, to me, and that's pushing me and prompting me out to other people. And so now I am going to take this unshakable joy that I have, but I'm going to extend myself and tie my heart to yours for your sake. Because this is what the life of God compels me to do. It's not that my joy is threatened if you don't respond. Like you can't stop my relationship with God. Or you can't rob me of that joy that comes from Him. But in this moment that I'm with you, I am risking something. I am longing that you would respond. I am extending myself for your sake. So please make my joy complete by being reconciled with God and, and by coming into this family and by responding to the embrace that I'm offering you now. This is what John the Elder is saying. I'm making myself vulnerable. I, I'm putting even my happiness on the line this Christmas in the hope that you will experience joy with me. Many of us are afraid to enmesh ourselves in the lives of other people because we can't stand the idea of tying our hearts to other people, particularly people who may not like us or reject us. Because when you tie your heart to someone and they get unhappy, you're unhappy. You know that? If you're married, you know that. Try and be just joyous and bubbly and happy when your wife or your husband is grumpy with you. Um, if you can do that, then you're in an unhealthy space. <coughs> we don't want 
other people's mess to become attached to us. So we pull back, we withdraw, we don't get involved in the lives of people. But Christmas shows us that Jesus Christ, God himself, got enmeshed in our brokenness. He got involved in a major way. He was weeping, he came in and he fell and he had nails in his hands. Could we get hurt if we tie our hearts to others, if we enter their world, if we include them in our core group? Yes, we could. In fact, we almost certainly will. But is it worth it for the joy? Who would you love to see come home to God this Christmas? Who's struggling around you that you could go to and include? Is there a fellow believer that you would love to be reconciled with this Christmas? This is John's heart here. My heart longs for you. I want joy for you. Make my joy complete by being in fellowship with us. Be with us here in God's family. Christmas moves us to pursue joy in the mess. Um, There's a a new family with us, Rob and Jen Vischer, um, who are sitting in the middle here. These guys, I've got permission to tell this story. Jen's been working in, just temporarily, in, she's a teacher, but she's been working in Muka, which is a shop that I'd never even heard of before I heard her story. Everyone, anyone know who, where Muka is? Is it Muka? Anyone know who, where Muka is? Any of the boys know where Muka is? No. <laughs> it's right in the middle of Warrigal. It's been there for a while between Smith and Victoria Street. Um, anyway, so as part of her, uh, that retail experience that um, Jen's having, there's been a lady that's been, you know, when you, I don't know if you know this, but if you're in a retail space and you're relational, people will come in and keep coming in if they like you just to talk to you without buying anything. That just tends to happen. This particular lady has got to the point where she's feeling like Jen's like a pseudo-daughter for her, just in a few months. And so they've had this relationship that way. And I heard, this just waiting to hear back, because these guys have invited this lady, this customer, to their family Christmas dinner. I think that is the most beautiful story that I've heard so far this Christmas. Now, she's thinking about that. I think she would dearly, I don't know her, but I know human nature, I think she would dearly love to come. She's just worried about tying her hearts, you know, back the other way. But but you feel at heart? Like, it's not just Look, have this hamper. It's not just, here's some help. It's like, come with us. Be with us. Like, celebrate with us. That's John's heart here. Make my joy complete. It's that extension of ourselves into spaces that are hard. This pursuit of joy in the mess. So here's John's reminder to us. Christmas is based on real events from which we've learned. Christmas makes our connection with God personal. Christmas calls us to celebrate life. Christmas prompts us to be fiercely relational. And Christmas moves us to pursue joy in the mess. We're going to sing our closing song. And what we want to do, we've got the prayer team up here. I want you to think of somebody, either that doesn't know Jesus yet, that you know, or somebody that... that you'd love to be reconciled with, just a name. And our prayer team here uh, will be ready to receive you. So what we're doing this morning is we're coming up with the name of somebody 
that we would love to, you know, uh, that, we, that we want to extend ourselves to, that we want to say, please be part of us uh, this Christmas. So this is not your need this morning. This is your friend's need, your family member's need, um, somebody else's need that you're bringing forward. Um, so hopefully lots of us have got someone on our minds in that space. So please come and uh, name that person. Just first name and our team will pray through that with you this morning after this song. Would you stand with us?